Hey guys, this is Jeff Stanick with Figured Out Baseball. We've got a great Figured Out Baseball podcast for you today. Uh, today on the podcast, we're being joined by Eddie Smith. He is the hitting coach at LSU in the SEC, uh, one of the best teams year in and year out for you know for for many decades now. So really excited to get into things with Coach Smith. Uh, I'll give you a quick background on on Eddie before we jump into questions with him. He is a native of Olympia, Washington. He started his college playing career at Centralia Community College, that's in Washington State, and then he transferred to Notre Dame uh, for his last two years. He started his coaching career at University of Virginia, where he started out as a director of baseball operations and then moved up to be the volunteer. He then spent 2012 as the hitting coach at Santa Clara in California. 2013, he went back to Notre Dame. 2014 through 17, he took a the head coaching job at Lower Columbia College, a junior college in Longview, Washington. While he was at Lower Columbia, the team won three straight conference and regional championships. And in 2015, he was named the ABCA Diamond Pacific Association Division National Coach of the Year. 2018 and 19, he was the hitting coach and recruiting coordinator, recruiting coordinator at Tulane, a very good Division One program in New Orleans. In 2019, his second year there, the team set the conference records for home runs, batting average, runs per game, total runs, total bases, slugging percentage, extra base hits, and walks per game. A pretty unbelievable uh, season for, for any team. 2020, the abbreviated 2020 season was his first season at LSU. Um, he's also spent time as a member of the USA Baseball coaching staff. Uh, this is Eddie Smith, again, the hitting coach from LSU. Coach Smith, really appreciate you spending time with us on the podcast today. Hey, Jeff, thank you. Appreciate uh, you having me on. So typically in these podcasts, for anybody that listens to these, I'd like to start with something interesting from the bio. Um, and, you know, for you, just with, with things that I've read about you, um, a pretty obvious place to start with you is just to talk some hitting. Um, you've had a, a tremendous amount of success as a hitting coach, and, and obviously you were hired at LSU to coach the hitters. Um, I'm, I'm very, very interested to to talk about that. So, I mean, heck, this might be the whole podcast, but I'd love to start out there with you and just sort of see where we can go. Uh, you know, for you as a hitting coach, Eddie, can you talk about maybe what which of your stops uh, you sort of set your the foundation for uh, for what you teach now as a hitting coach, whether that was as a player, whether at what you know one of your stops as a as a young college coach, but can you kind of talk about where you sort of got the foundation for what you believe in hitting wise? Yeah, I think that was a, a combination of a lot of things that are constantly evolving. But uh, I'd say the biggest factors in that were my senior year when I was playing at Notre Dame, we uh, got a new hitting coach whose name was. Cliff Godwin, and he's now the head coach at East Carolina University. He's been very successful, but, uh, you know, as a player, he was very influential on me, uh, you know, very inspiring guy who really, uh, you know, probably is a big reason why I'm why I'm still coaching in college today because of that impact he had on me every year. I sent him a text on Christmas saying he's the best coach I've ever had, and, uh, you know, I just really enjoyed playing for him, and then I spent my first uh, five years in the coaching side at the University of Virginia where I worked with uh, Kevin McMullen, who's been the hitting coach now at the University of Virginia for, uh, I want to say it's been 18 years now. And um, 
I think when you talk about foundations, uh, a lot of those foundations come from Coach Mack there in Virginia. And, um, you know, I think that uh, he's just had a tremendous amount of success. And I'd be crazy if I didn't try to pull a lot of uh, a lot of the ideals from, from his teachings and, and use them every day in what uh, we go forward with. I don't know how specific you want to get. But one of the things I, I love about college baseball is the amount of information that coaches are willing to share with each other. Can you kind of tell us um, a bit about what are sort of some of the some of the absolutes or some of the some of the uh, the basics, the essentials at this point that you believe in as a hitting coach? You know, for for a hitter to be successful at the college level, what are some things that you think hitters need to do? Well, I think that's a really complex web where there's a lot of inner, uh, intertwining qualities that great hitters have. Um, I think it's so important that hitters have a great mindset, a mindset of confidence and belief. I think it's important that hitters have good mechanics where they have a strong foundation in their body, that they have their hands, uh, you know, in a good position to load and a good direction with the bat to and through that baseball. Um, I think that bat speed is important. Uh, I think it's important that hitters have a, a plan at the plate, whether there's you know two strikes on them or less than two strikes on them. Maybe the uh, runner on third base and the infield is back is back, and we got to score a run by just hitting the ground ball and sometimes the plan on about two percent of the at bats that you're going to have. So uh, that that plan is certainly a big part of it. Um, I think that your preparation and everyday drills and batting practices I think that's a part of it I think you got to have a routine as a hitter um, I think you have to have good timing and I think you, you you combine kind of all of those elements right there and um, those elements are, are all going to be things that make a great hitter and um, you know I think that's what uh, you know kind of leads to the complexity of hitting is trying to make those things as simple as possible but uh, they, they all do kind of leak into each other in one way or another I like to call it that web because it's not just hey, a list of things it's a, a lot of concepts that all kind of intertwine and um, great hitters are great at a lot of those things when you're recruiting hitters you've been a recruiting coordinator at several stops um, when you're recruiting hitters, are there any of those tools that you think are more important to see before he sets foot on, before a player sets foot on campus, whereas others might be things that you think are, are more teachable or you're not as concerned about, you know, you're not as concerned about a player having this tool before he shows up because I think I can teach him that, whereas this tool, like if he doesn't have it, he's not going to, you know, if he doesn't have it naturally, yeah. he's not going to really be successful here. Absolutely. So on the recruiting side, the first thing I would say is that it is never a perfect science. Uh, you know, it's something that we all try to do uh, our best at, um, you know, projecting what a player is going to be and, uh, as you go forward when you're on that recruiting trail. Um, certainly not a perfect science, especially, you know, where here at LSU and at a lot of the Power Five conferences, we're recruiting players in their freshman and sophomore year of high school. Uh, we're, we're trying to project and predict what that player is going to be five, six, seven years down the road for us. And so, um, you know, when looking at a hitter, I think there's two things to keep in mind. One is, um, you know, you, 
you're not just recruiting a hitter, you're recruiting a baseball player. You know, you only got one DH in your lineup. So this player is going to have to also play a defensive position. And when you're talking about defensive positions like the catching position, shortstop, center field, even third base, uh, you know, you've got to get a premier, premier defender at that position as well if you want to have a really successful team. And so, you know, when you're recruiting a hitter, you're also looking at that total package of a ball player. And a lot of times, you know, if you're looking at a really good shortstop, I mean, the chances of that guy also being an advanced, advanced hitter are really, really slim. Guys who are premier shortstops and premier hitters that are high school players are the guys who sign for five-plus million dollars as top 10 overall picks in the major league draft at 18 years old. They don't show up on college campuses, but maybe once in a generation, like a guy like Alex Brightman, you know? And so um, I think it's so important to, to know that um, we aren't just recruiting the best hitters, we're recruiting the best baseball players. But the rule of thumb that I like to use when I'm recruiting is that, um, you know, that there's three big categories when I'm evaluating a hitter. And it's barrel presence, meaning a guy who just, he's always hitting the ball on the barrel. Um, I think we've all seen those players. You know, I think a guy like Edgar Martinez might come to mind at the major league level. It's just a legend. Of, and you don't really know how he does it. He doesn't have the most perfect swing. He doesn't have the best power, the best bat speed, but the guy's on the barrel more than anybody else. So I think that's a category. Um, you know, power, hey, how hard can the guy hit the ball? You know, and then the other piece is foot speed. So, you know, those three categories, I always feel like a player has to be very above average in at least two of those three to really be able to be a guy that we want to move forward on in recruiting. Um, you know, if you can be somebody who really stands out in two of those three categories, separate yourself from your peers, your high school peers, in two of those three categories, um, to me, that's a hitter that, that you know, I would really um, – like on the recruiting trail and that's kind of a rule of thumb that I've just sort of stumbled into over the years I've always sort of stuck to you know you, you get excited about a guy sometimes who gosh that guy is always on the barrel but you know he just doesn't show a lot of power he just doesn't really run very well that doesn't always it doesn't really translate to being a guy who's going to be an impact player in college for you you know and uh, so I'd say those are those are the things that I try to look for when As much as you like a guy that is on the barrel a lot, does it concern you when you see swings and misses? Like, or is a is a guy that will swing and miss a decent amount while he might barrel balls, also swings and misses a lot? Is that uh, a big red flag for you, or is that something that doesn't necessarily, you know, if if the result of the at bat is a barrel, a swing and miss earlier in the at bat doesn't really concern you? How do, how do you sort of uh, look at swings and misses at the amateur level when you're going to see a guy? Um, yeah, so, I mean, the swing and miss to me is, is a huge red flag. Um, it doesn't happen very often where a guy's swinging and missing a lot and then also on the barrel a lot, you know. Um, if a guy's having a hard time putting balls in play, um, it's really, really hard to recruit that player. And I know there's some analytics out there that say at the major league level, the strikeout is just another out. And I understand that at the major league level, uh, particularly for a guy who's hitting 30-plus home runs at the major league level. But um, if I'm watching a high school game and, and you're striking out two, three times in a 
high school game or, you know, three times over the course of two high school games, I'm going to have a really, really hard time recruiting you, recruiting you as a player because, um, you know, if you're having a hard time hitting the high school pitching, um, it's going to be a hard time for you to hit college pitching, whether that's in the SEC at the junior college level or mid-major. Uh, that, that's just how the reality is. That that's uh, a huge indicator for me. Um, I want to see guys putting the ball in play and putting the ball in play hard consistently. Uh, there was a guy uh, when I was at after I left Moorhead State. The, the staff there recruited a guy named Nico Holsizer, who's now uh, making his way through the Dodgers organization. It was a um, ended up after I think his sophomore year, freshman. I think it was his sophomore year. Ended up being in the um, the National Home Run Derby uh, for college players in Omaha. And and you know how did he how did a guy end up like that end up at Moorhead State is a question that I hear from time to time once people find out I was at Moorhead State and of course it was after I left but you know I think he was the guy in high school that had some question marks around his the amount of times he swung and missed but boy when he hit it he hit it a long way and and it's funny it's almost like he's one of the anomaly guys that you know when he got to college he continued to swing and miss a decent amount but hit, you know, just hit, hit so many extra base hits and hit the ball so hard when he squared it up and squared it up enough that it was like, okay, you still see the high batting average, the high slugging, the high on base percentage uh, with the high strikeout numbers. And it's, and it's almost like those numbers have continued to be that same sort of way in pro ball. A lot of extra base hits, a lot of balls hit hard, but a lot of strikeouts. And, but for every guy that you find like that, uh, I, I agree with you that um, I always was very concerned with, with swings and misses uh, at the amateur level. Um, so let's kind of transition to that to talk about power. Does power for you at the amateur level, again, you're, you're watching freshmen and, and sophomores in high school, uh, you know, maybe maybe not quite so young um, when you're at Tulane, and I assume at Lower Columbia you're recruiting guys that were, at, you know, at least juniors, if not maybe some seniors or whatever. But when you're watching amateur hitters, does power need to mean over-the-fence power? And I'm asking this because there's there's obviously a push on social media. Uh, you know, launch angle is a big thing. There's a big push on social media, better or worse, uh, for for kids to hit the ball in the air more. Um, but if you see a guy that is, you know, hitting hitting low line drives or even like one hop through the infield, but he boy he just hits it hard. Do you feel like you can? make some small adjustments with that guy at your level to get him what he needs to be. So I guess the question is, does does power need to mean over-the-fence power for you in order to make that player a recruitable athlete? It doesn't necessarily. No, not at all. You know, I think that um, I think that power is the last tool to come. Power has to do with strength. And, um, you know, so often, you see major leaguers who, you know, they don't reach their true power a lot of times until 26, 27, 28 years old. And, um, you know, we're getting players at 18 to 21 years old. And so um, those players that were getting at 18 to 21 years old, we're usually recruiting them when they're 15, 16, sometimes 14 years old. You know, it, it's one of those things, the power part, it's unpredictable. It, it really is. We could sit here and say, oh, that, that kid's going to put 20 pounds on and he's going to hit a ton of home runs. Um, you know, for every guy that you say that about, it, it, it actually happens maybe two out of ten of them uh, where, where they do go through and they have the dedication to put that strength on. And, you know, naturally they gain mass also. But, um, you know, I think that... Uh, 
for me and my evaluation of players, it's really hard to go recruit a guy who who has only one tool, and that one tool being just a hitter who has some power. Uh, you know, it, to me, power is a great, great benefit on the back end when evaluating recruits at the college level. But, um, you know, it's such an unpredictable thing. If you go recruit somebody whose only tool is to be a hitter and they come in and they just don't hit that much, then they're, uh, you know, they just don't have a whole lot that they can contribute to the program. And so for me, I, I think it's so important to recruit a guy who's got some skills uh, that has a natural position on the field that's somewhere other than just first base or left field. Um, who you know can run bases and knows where the barrel is and can put together a great at bat every time he goes to the plate. And if that particular player, um, you know, maybe over the time from when you sign him or you commit him at 15 years old to the time that he's 20, 21 years old, I mean, hopefully that particular player gains some strength, gains some power, and all of a sudden the guy who's always on the barrel is also always on the barrel and hitting home runs for you when he's a you know sophomore or junior in college. Right now at LSU, you only had one spring again, but you know just going forward, can you would you talk about uh, what your general offensive philosophy is, or general offensive approach? Obviously, you have individual hitters in there, but as an offense, as a whole, what do you want to be good at? What do you want to be known for as an offense at LSU? Well, I think it's really important that we, uh, you know, we we figure out every individual and we maximize the potential in every individual um you know with that being said once every individual is working to execute uh you know that their own their own at bat uh, you know I, I want for every individual to execute their own at bat we just keep passing the baton through the lineup i heard the other day a term hey it's not a lineup it's just a circle it doesn't matter where it starts or finishes and it's just ever it's never ending you know where um you know we want to go through this lineup through this circle where Hey, we're just winning at bat after the next at bat after the next at bat. Pitchers hate pitching to us. Uh, you know, we love it because we're just wearing pitchers down, and all of a sudden we know that the guy in front of us is going to wear that guy down for for me, and then I'm going to wear it down for the next guy, and I'm just going to keep winning that at bat, uh, you know, to the best of my ability. So my ability might be to hit the ball over the fence, where the guy behind me's ability might be to just absolutely grind out six, seven, eight pitch at bats after uh, one after another. But, um, you know, whatever one's ability is, I think it's important that they maximize that, understand their strengths as an individual. And if we do that collectively, uh, I think that puts a lot of pressure on the, on the other team with the kind of talent that we have here. So when, when dealing with individuals, let's kind of get a little more specific if we can. And, and obviously it's, you know, it's, it's not easy to do to talk about an individual. But when you're coaching individuals – how much time do you take just to get to know them before you before you start making adjustments? Let's start there. Yeah, before you start to make adjustments, uh, I, I, I think that that's going to depend on each individual. But what I will tell you is that uh, you know when I've, I've I've gone to a new program um, this fall, for example, here at LSU. The veteran players in particular, uh, guys who have been here for three, four years, 
with those players, uh, it was something where it was a very, very collective effort. You know, I wasn't going to sit there on day one. I wasn't going to sit there on, on day 31 and say, hey, you need to change this, this, and this, okay? Um, it was something where I would ask them a lot of questions and, um, you know, get to know them, you know, what they were thinking as a hitter, what they were doing, why they were doing it, and then um, ask them questions about, hey, have you ever thought about something like this? Um, what, what, why are you doing that? You know, I've seen guys do things like this. If you want to work with me on this, I'd be happy to work on it with you. Um, you know, that's with guys who had 500, 700 at-bats under their belt at the college level between summer leagues and the regular season. Now, there were also a bunch of freshmen on this team this last season, and um, I think that, you know, my opinion's always been that you kind of get to earn your voice uh, in college baseball. You get to earn your voice by the way you go about your work and, you know, the hours that you've put in. And so for those freshmen, um, there were times where it was more of, hey, you're going to do this and you got to trust me in this situation right here because I've got to prepare you for something that you've never even um, come close to experiencing before, which is hitting high caliber collegiate pitching day in and day out. And you got to trust me that in order to do that, you've got to make this adjustment right here in November because it's going to be too late to make this adjustment in March or April. And um, so I think that's the spectrum that you got to work with with players is, um, you know, guys who have been around and guys that are, are more advanced, you have to give those players a little bit more individual uh, ownership in their swing. And ultimately what I tell every player is I want you to be your own best hitting coach and I just want to be somebody who kind of keeps you between the lines. You know, you got to be working with yourself because I can't be there with you every swing you take of every single day. That's just physically not possible when you're talking about 17 or 18 hitters on the team. And, and so... Um, I think it's really important that our hitters, you know, take that ownership in themselves. But, um, you know, as far as my part with it, uh, it's going to be based off of how long you've been around the game and, and, and kind of the general feel of, of what you've earned, um, you know, and the investment that you put in as a hitter. Do you find guys that are resistant to change at every level? Uh, I mean, you've been at you've been at the junior college level. You've been at, at I guess, what you'd consider a mid-major outside the Power Five. Um, and then you've been at obviously power five schools. Uh, do you find that some hitters are resistant to change? And especially like I, I'd be thinking of a guy that, that maybe has had some success, but you see something in his swing where you think, boy, I mean, you're good. You're a good hitter. But if you would just do this, you could be an even better hitter. You could take your game to the next level. But do you find, do you ever find there's, there's some resistance when a guy has had some level of success, even if you believe in his mind, in your mind, you can take him to the next level? And if so, um, you know, what's, what's your plan to, uh, with a hitter like that? Yeah, I, I, I find that a lot with hitters. And, you know, I, I think the best hitters have a lot of that because they, are very confident. That's part of the reason that they are the best hitters. Um, and so it's a really delicate thing. And, um, you know, I think as a hitting coach, one of the biggest things out there is the whole balance of, hey, if it's not broken, don't fix it, versus, hey, you're doing pretty well, but I don't know if that's going to optimize your ability to be great. You know, hey, can we make that good to great step by making an adjustment? You got to be really careful because, uh, you know, if you're trying to go make an adjustment on a guy who's been successful, um, 
that adjustment doesn't work or his heart's not all in on it, you're going to lose that trust with that player completely really quick if it's not successful in, in that adjustment. So you got to be careful about how you approach it. Um, you got to make sure it's a collaboration with somebody in particular, somebody who's had a lot of success. Um, you know, you got to explain to the player the why. Hey, why is this change so important for you? video that we have available to us in this era is remarkable and it's a huge huge tool that you can use to say hey this video is telling your story right here okay if this video right here is going to tell your story for you all right i like this a lot hey look at this video right here that tells the story of mike trout or christian yelich or some other superstar out there hey look what he's doing right here hey what you're doing isn't wrong but look at what the superstar is doing right here which allows him to do this and um, I think that's some ways that you can navigate that with a player so that it doesn't become hey you're doing this wrong let's change it to this but coach I'm hitting 330 um, and I hit you know 10 home runs as a freshman why would I change anything quite frankly why would he change anything you know, I, I'm a huge believer that I want our hitters believing in themselves at an irrational rate. Um, you know, I want them overconfident in themselves. And if I'm sitting here trying to change them every single day as a hitting coach, at some point they're going to start wondering, geez, maybe maybe I'm not that good as a hitter. That's the last thing I want out of them. So I think it's a balance. I think it's a constant um you know, kind of massaging of the hitter uh, and having that relationship with them where you can just have a casual conversation and point things out to them and really let them run with it as opposed to you just telling them, hey, this is what you need to do. In, in 90% of the cases, I've just found that to be uh, uh, the best way to approach that kind of scenario. Yeah, I think that's something that for a lot of coaches is difficult. I think you kind of have to, most coaches have to go through some growing pains as a young coach or you try to force feed some things and it and it doesn't go over well, or you lose, you know, that that player kind of loses trust in you, and your relationship is hurt with that player because you're trying to force something that they don't think they need to do. Uh, but it's tough because if as a coach, when you see things that you really think can help somebody, it's tough to just kind of keep your mouth shut. It's tough to you know to let that player come to you and and say, okay, coach, I'm ready. I'm ready to make that change because it it might be a lot longer than you think it needs to be as a coach. And you know something that I've seen is a freshman that has success but you you know that freshman can take another can take his game to another level and you also know as a coach that a sophomore slump that those are real things because other teams make adjustments from one year to the next and and you you can kind of see you know into a crystal ball in a way to, you know okay if, if this hitter doesn't make this adjustment or this pitcher doesn't make this adjustment I think that you're going to have some struggles as a sophomore and sometimes, you know, guys don't want to hear that. And then, as you said early, it's, it's a lot of adjustments are too late. It's too late to make that adjustment in March or April. So when you kind of have something in your mind, Eddie, that you believe that this particular thing can take a hitter to the next level and, and a hitter is not, um, when you first kind of bring it up, a hitter is kind of like, no, nah, I don't think I need to do that. Do you, do you totally let it go and, and wait until they come to you? Or, or do you, uh, you know, from time to time, um, kind of revisit it and just sort of you plant that seed and then maybe give a little bit of water from time to time to see if it if it takes without forcing anything but just sort of keeping it you know letting the hitter know that that you you're still thinking about it or how, how do you approach it when a guy's not um totally receptive when you first bring up a change you think could be benefit beneficial yeah again i don't think there's any absolutes on this i, I just look at um you know just going back to this last season um 
you know, we had a player who was just taking it in the second round, and Daniel Cabrera, a very, very good hitter, worked really, really hard, one of the premier hitters in the country, and, um, you know, I, I met him for the first time last July, and there were some things that I thought about a swing that I didn't love, but there was a lot that I really liked, and, um, you know, the, the biggest thing I thought is that he just had a lot of movement in his load, and he was already a guy who had a great swing, he had great power. Um, I don't think, I didn't think that he needed to manufacture extra power because he already had enough. And I thought, you know, the, the extra movements maybe made it harder for him to have elite timing day in and day out. And, um, you know, it was something that I brought up just in conversation, asked him why he had the leg kick, asked him, you know, what accomplishments for him, that sort of thing. And, um, you know, sometime in December, he came to me and just said, hey, I think I'm going to get rid of this leg kick. I just don't know that it brings anything to the table. I, uh, you know, I never, I, I never intentionally or flat out said, uh, never intentionally even inferred, hey, I don't think you should do it. But again, this was a player with, you know, um, 700 college bats under his belt, including a summer in the Cape Cod, freshman All-American type of a season. Um, you know, a player who, who who was a very, very experienced player, and, um, you know, he had a lot of confidence in what he did, and so in, in that scenario, it was something that, it was just, it just was something I asked about, something I asked about a couple of times, and he made that adjustment. You know, he came back after about uh, a month and a half of Christmas break, winter break there, of hitting on his own. It just uh, sort of slimmed down his swing a little bit, and, um, you know, it just looked really good. His ability to repeat was just, uh, had, had improved a lot. His direction in his swing improved a lot with the work that he put in there on that break. And, uh, you know, that was how that one turned out. Um, you know, there was there, there were other times where, you know, you have a freshman and you try to work with them a little bit and they kind of keep slipping right back into their habits and then all of a sudden you look up and, you know, maybe through uh, 20 at-bats, they've got two hits and you just sit there and you tell them, hey, you know, you, it might not be comfortable for you to do it this way, but sometimes you kind of be uncomfortable to find greatness and uh, you're going to do things this way now because you got to give this a chance because what you are doing isn't working. And, um, you know, I think that's two ends of the spectrum there and everything falls in between those two ends of the spectrum. I say, hey, there's only one way to do it. I, I, I can't, you just hit the nail on the head. Hey, um, sometimes when I was young and, um, you know, uh, young and dumb, I would sit there and just say, gosh, this hitter just needs to do this and you need to do this. And then it became me against the hitter. I, I still, I've never found a player in my coaching career who is trying to fail you know um, some players they need a little kick in the rear end I feel like at times so that their effort level their commitment level increases to allow them to have success but they're still not trying to fail and so um, you know I think that the more you can talk to the player about it being hey this is what the game needs out of you in, in order for you to be great instead of hey this is what you need to do just I told you so, now do it. Uh, I think the more you can talk about how the game needs this in order for you to be great, this is what it takes in this game, the, the more you're going to be able to reach those hitters. And, again, the visuals of, you know, video that we have available now, uh, TrackMan is remarkable because you can sit there and you can show those hitters where that pitch was. Um, 
you know, it's not a debate of, oh, that pitch was two inches off the plate. Oh, no, that's on the plate. Well, here's what TrackMan says. You know, hey, you hit this pitch in the outer half of the plate best. This is the pitch that you're getting 80% of the time. Um, on down the line, you know, the TrackMan will tell the story for you. You don't have to, you don't have to create a story. Um, you just put the information out there and these players, shoot, they grew up with all this information. They grew up with the technology. They can handle this information and technology better than I can to a certain extent. And, um, you know, they, they understand what it's saying and now it gets to tell the story instead of me being the, the hitting coach and the storyteller that then they start to question. Um, I just put the information right there in front of them and then it gets the information is the story, the facts, the data. And, they get to make their own conclusions from there. We get to work together on how to go to where they need to go. I think that's so important. That's awesome. So with the leg kick, I'm curious about that. I like to address issues sometimes that I think, um, you know, get pushed on social media. And I like to address them because I think a lot of kids see that. And I think that you hear different voices and, and kids aren't always, you know, they don't know what direction to go. Kids that especially kind of coach themselves or, or they – they see things on social media and think like, I, I could do this to help myself. You know, I like to address those kind of issues. Generally speaking, Coach Smith, a leg kick, um, and maybe let's not even talk about guys at LSU, but maybe just general high school players. Like if there's a high school coach listening to this um, or even or a high school player listening to this, what, what are your general thoughts of a leg kick and why or why not you are in favor of, of a leg kick, generally speaking? Generally speaking, well, I, I, I would again continue to just go back to there's never an absolute hitting. Um, but if we're going to talk in generalities, meaning the majority of the population of hitters, I, I think that, um, you know, the leg kick is going to be more harmful than productive for most hitters, particularly amateur hitters. And um, I would say that because, you know, to, to be a great hitter, you got to be able to repeat. You got to be able to repeat timing, and you got to be able to repeat a swing. And what I always tell people is that hey, you got to have movement in a swing. There's no doubt about it. But more movement equals less repeatability. Less movement equals more repeatability. As a hitter, you've got to find in that spectrum of more movement, a lot of movement, or no movement, where your honey hole is, where you're most productive. And so what I would say is, hey, if you're just standing there in your stance and all you do is stick your bat out and you try to put your barrel with your bat just extended and, and touch the barrel to the pitch that's coming in, you're going to probably get your barrel on the baseball at a really high percentage, but you aren't even swinging the bat, so you're probably not going to hit the ball very far. That's why we need to have some movement, some rhythm in our swing, no doubt about it. Now, if I sat there and told you, you got to stand in the batter's box and shoot and do two backflips and then swing your bat um, or swing the bat like Happy Gilmore does in the movie, all right, you're going to have a really hard time finding your barrel because you're going to have to start that swing really, really early, like while that ball is still in the pitcher's hands, so you're swinging at something you aren't even seeing yet. And so it's so important that a hitter finds that equilibrium in there, you know, that honey hole. Hey, what amount of movement can I have that's going to allow me to have some force behind my swing, but as important, equally as important, allow me to be on the barrel consistently. And I always use, I always just call it the rule of 80%. Okay, if you're in a batting cage and you've got somebody underhand flipping you a ball straight on behind an L screen, 
You need to be able to hit the pitch off the back net of that batting cage 80% of the time or more. And if you can't do it in that setting, that most controlled environment that we could possibly have for you as a hitter, you know, the balls are being lobbed in underhand, all right? And I'm not saying arc. I'm saying a flat, flat underhand throw, but it's still very, very slow compared to 95-mile-an-hour fastball. And, you know, you get to be in a batting cage, and all you have to do is hit off the back of the net. If you can't do that 80% of the time, your swing has too much going on. And when your swing has too much going on in it, um, it, it's hard to be repeatable. If you can't be repeatable in that setting right there, 80% of the time or more, you need to shrink your swing down, have less movement, and more barrel. I think that's that's really, really important is that you're able to do that. That's just the rule of thumb that I've kind of uh, evolved into in my coaching career as as a teaching point of, hey, you know, you're going to have movement in your swing, that's fine, but it can't be at the total sacrifice of being on the barrel. Coach, do you have time for one more question, or do we have to wrap this up? Absolutely. Okay. We have time. One last question. Between working on a a hitter's strengths or working on a hitter's weaknesses, can you talk about how you kind of break down practice time? Just, Just as an example, just say a guy does a really good job of handling a pitch, uh, on the outer half of the plate does a great job kind of peppering the opposite field uh, gap and, and is really, really good at that. It's a good strength for him. He can also does a good job with maybe off-speed pitches, but he really struggles on fastballs on his hands. Um, do you, how, how much time are you going to spend kind of kind of working on that weakness? And, and if, if not making it a strength, at least making it something where a guy can uh, at least have a chance or, you know, compared to how much time you're going to spend on what's already a strength, keeping it a strength and, and making it such a strength that maybe it overcomes the weakness, if that all makes sense. So how much time are you spending uh, on, on either either uh, continuing to work on a guy's strengths or focusing on weaknesses so they're not weaknesses anymore, potentially? It's a great question, and um, I would say it's probably about 50-50. Um, you know, I think a very, very common uh, flaw or weakness that you'll see in hitters is front side pulling out, eyes going to the dugout, shoulder flying to the pull side dugout um, prior to contact. You know, you see those swings and misses where the hitter looks out of control sometimes. And, um, and again, I don't see a lot of hitters who are intentionally doing that. It's hitters that you know, haven't mastered the ability to stay on through a baseball at an elite level in most cases. But I see this so often in college hitters. Uh, this summer I'm actually coaching a 14U team because of the COVID restrictions we have. It was an opportunity that came up. and It's been a blast. But I'll tell you that's a, a really big uh, hurdle for a lot of our hitters is to be able to consistently stay on the baseball. And, um, you know, that is. It's something that we'll work on all the time. And I'd say... What we'll say in a lot of cases is, hey, we want you driving balls in the middle of the field. Hey, we want you driving balls in the opposite field where we say that to this player. Um, And what it is is it's the intent to keep them on the baseball longer and through the baseball longer. And there will be times that this player still will pull a baseball in batting practice. And instead of the pole being something where it's got side spin and it looks like a slider right down the line and it's hooking, hooking and you're hoping it stays fair, it's a ball that's pulled and it's a line drive that goes over 
the shortstop's head and it bounces all the way to the fence because it's driven with backspin, even though they're trying to hit the ball up the middle of the field or to the opposite way. And, um, you know, so I, I think that, you know, rather than totally focusing on the flaw, sometimes we'll focus on the end result that will naturally iron out the flaw. But with that said, we'll also focus on adjustments physically that you want to make. Hey, the flaw, hey, your head's flying out there. You're checking out the third base coach with your eyes and your shoulder rather than the eyes and the shoulder staying down on the baseball through contact. Hey, on this pitch, keep your eyes on the plate after contact. Keep your shoulder on the baseball and through the center fielder for as long as you possibly can. You know, there's a great picture of Christian Yelich out there on, on Twitter that's been circulating last week where, you know, he swings at a pitch. You can see the contact made and you can see his head stay down. You can literally watch his eyes after contact look back and look down at the plate like he's trying to follow that baseball into the catcher's glove. Awesome, awesome stuff. And, you know, that's the kind of adjustment that we'll try to make for that specific hitter who might have the tendency to consistently pull off the baseball. That's just one example of many. But uh, it's a balance because you always got to celebrate the hitter's successes. We want to talk about mindset. We want to talk about confidence. We got to make that hitter uh, walk into the batter's box feeling like he's hitting, you know, 500, even if he's over his last in. And so uh, if all you do is focus on the weaknesses, all of a sudden the hitter, he's going to feel that, you know, he's going to, he's going to understand that. And all of a sudden he's going to start questioning, geez, you know, um, I, I'm just not that good of a hitter. So you got to be careful about that. You got to balance that. And, uh, always give that hitter that chance to, to, you know, understand how great he is. This is beautiful, man. For any hitting coach out there that just that wants to learn and wants to learn what's going on at elite levels. And I like to talk about, I bring up social media only because I think there's so much that circulates out there that I really think is bad for hitters. But, but it's, it's being sold on Twitter and it's being sold in, in some facilities and, and things that just I don't believe are going to work for most people at, at, uh, at whatever level. I think you know, it might work for a small portion. It might work in a batting cage, but in a game when, when someone's trying to change speeds on you, and especially when you see for whatever level you're playing, when you see good velocity, it's really not going to work. And, and I always just enjoy talking with high-level hitting coaches and, and the things that you believe in and, and um things that you work on and there were so many things Eddie we didn't get into today that I hope that we would maybe we can schedule another one of these but but what information was shared today was amazing uh, this is Eddie Smith everybody's the heading coach hitting coach at LSU uh, coach Smith very very much appreciate your time and, and everything you shared with us hey I really appreciate being on and, uh, it was a pleasure enjoyed talking hitting and uh, everyone stay safe out there hopefully we'll be back on the field sooner than later